this is Will Gadara, and thank you so much for tuning in. We have a really great show today. It was an amazing conversation, and for me, reinforced one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple months and have been having so many conversations with peers and industry leaders around. This idea of doing whatever it takes to keep our teams intact. Whatever it takes, that's something I learned from Nick Kikonis and Grant Ackett's, this philosophy that they so beautifully articulated and so many of us in restaurants have always embodied. The idea that in service, when we are pursuing either the creation of an extraordinary restaurant or the relationship that we're trying to establish with our guests, to do whatever it takes to make it incredible. And that means working harder. That means working longer hours. That means going above and beyond to exceed people's expectations. But in this season where we are all fighting so desperately to hold on to our businesses, the conversation I've been having most often recently is our collective need to do whatever it takes, yes, to keep our restaurants open, but perhaps even more importantly, to keep our teams together. Because the restaurants, well, they're just places, they're just things, but it's the collection of people that so many of us have worked with for so long. That's what turns those places into something special. I was talking to a former colleague and we were reminiscing about when we had been together for a long time and how we knew each other so well and knew how each other thought so intimately that we had the capacity to do what he articulated as a no-huddle offense. Right now, keeping a team together seems almost impossible. But if we pursue keeping the band together in whatever way we possibly can, whether it's through finding random jobs to work on or simply just through maintaining relationship, even if there is no job to go back to, whether it's through pursuing each other through community or inspiring one another through just time together, such that those relationships, those teams that we've spent so long building are not gone on the other side of this. It will make life so much easier when we do eventually come out on the other side. And let's not forget, so much more fulfilling and so much more fun. Welcome back to Weekly Specials. It's the Weekly Specials. You do, 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 do. Weekly Specials. Weekly Specials. Do, 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 do. The Weekly Specials. Kwame Nwache has had quite the past few years in the spotlight. From the closing of his highly anticipated Shaw Bijou in 2017, to rebounding with Kith and Kin in DC, an absolutely delicious restaurant that I was fortunate enough to eat at before he departed. He also released his memoir, Notes from a Young Black Chef in 2019, which is now being adapted into a film. During that time, he's also won a slew of awards. But most importantly, he's focused on paving a way for young black chefs and highlighting the cuisine of his heritage. Kwame, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, man. Likewise. So listen, we're doing a few different themes with this conference, but you know, you and I worked together back in the day, but we've gotten to know each other more over the last year. And I've gotten to know you as a human being and gotten to 
experienced your restaurant and gotten to meet your team. And I think, you know, mostly the reason I really wanted to talk, I was going to talk to you on one of these podcasts. I just needed to figure out which month it was going to be. <laughs> the reason why collaboration felt right to me is because, okay, I went to Kip and Ken. I met all the different people that you work with. And then we sat down at the end of the dinner and you're like, oh yeah, no, no, no. I've been working with them all since culinary school. We all went to school together. We've known each other for forever. Mm-hmm. And that's super rare. Not not to mention the fact that, okay, for most of the people, listen, let's just name it, the, the awards, a lot of them have been given to you by your name or by the restaurant to your credit. Every time we've ever talked about anything you do, the pronouns you use are we and us. And that's rare. And so first, just for people that don't know it, can you talk to me about your team? The first time you guys all worked together, when you all met, and like your collective experience between then and now? Yeah, well, we met in culinary school. I needed to figure out ways to pay for culinary school. You know, I went there with like no money in my pocket. As we know, it's it's very expensive endeavor to go into. And I had a catering company. So when I first, when you first get to culinary school, you know, everyone's like, where'd you work? You know, what'd you do before you got got in here? And, you know, for me, I was like, I have, I have a catering company in the city. And they were like, no way you have a catering company. Like you're our age. And I was like, yeah, no, I have a catering company. So they were just like, hey, man, we'd just love to have you set, Just a level set. How old were you at that point? 22, 22 years old. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> and, I just got to back up a little more. How did you have a catering company in New York City <laughs> when you were 22 years old? Like we can't just glaze over it. <laughs> I wanted to cook my food, you know, I, I was working in restaurants for a while. So my mom, she started, a, she had a catering company that she operated from the house when I was five years old. So I was essentially born into the kitchen. You know, I worked in a bunch of kitchens in Louisiana and New York City, and I wanted to cook my own food in the way that I could do that. I, I couldn't open my own restaurant. So I figured I can start a catering company. I sold candy on the subway to start, you know, my, my to get my capital for it, you know, to get an LLC and insurance, you know, commercial space, uniforms, equipment, all that stuff. And so, yeah, I had a operating catering company in the city, but I would do everything, parent-teacher conferences, celebrity soirees, like anything, you know, started off a way to pay rent and then it, it just took off. So yeah, that's <laughs> the beginning of that story. But um, so I get to school and we're all like, you know, they're like, I worked at a deli in, in New Jersey. I worked at a little... Italian place in Pittsburgh. And then when it came to me, I was like, yeah, I have a catering company in the city. Uh, I worked at a bunch of places before that, but I have a catering company. And they're like, we'll come work for you just for like hands-on experience. And I think even at that point, it was very collaborative. You know, it wasn't like, I think there always needs to be a leader and a clear vision for any project you're doing. But when you really listen to the people that are around you and let them have a voice, and let them fall and fail and get back up on on their own accord, I think it builds trust for one, because they're like, you're trusting me with your name. And it also builds character, you know, makes them stronger. You know, they're learning from actual, you know, real time lessons. And some of those lessons are failure. And I think those are the best ways to overcome something and learn. So even at that point, it was very, very collaborative. When we were doing events, we would do weddings, you know, we would We would prep at the CIA, you know, load up somebody's car, drive down to New York City, do a wedding, come back for class the next morning. Uh, And it it was just a really, really fun experience. So after that, I went, you know, after school, I went to work for you. You know, I went to travel around the world. 
and I eventually got enough investors to open up a restaurant. It was a natural thing that everyone just moved to DC and we we kept rocking it out. And we opened restaurant after restaurant after restaurant together. How many people we failed together? Yeah. How many well, people came initially? This like core crew that you've had for so long. It was like 10 people, 10 people that we we rocked out. You know, we even we failed Shaw Bijou, you know, closed. I don't, I don't want to call it a failure, but it closed. And then we opened another restaurant together. You know, we opened Kip and Kin. Some of them have moved back. You know, we still do events. You know, if I'm if I'm in a different city, they'll fly out to help me. But but yeah, I mean, we've been rocking out for almost 10 years now. So, and by the way, you and I are so aligned on this idea that there's such strength and power in keeping the band together. And I think it's one of the sad things right now is if I've, I've seen different people across our industry in this season working so hard to keep themselves afloat that they've let these teams that they've spent so long building just drift apart without recognizing the damage that that's going to cause on the other side of this. Could you just like talk about why it's so important to you to continue working with the same group of people? It's so important you know, because people learn, people learn the way that you are and you learn the way that they are. And that takes so much time. You know, there's always a honeymoon phase when you start working with any new, with, with a new person, there's that period of, of excitement, you know, in, in a relationship as well. But when you have someone that knows you during your good and your bad times, that knows your strengths and, and that can play to them. I think that's so, so invaluable. And it takes a long time to build that up and to build that trust. So I think it's, it's really easy to, to let everyone go. You know, it's really easy to fire someone. The work is in talking to someone and figuring out how you can come to an understanding, you know, what's going wrong, where, where's the real issue. Because at the end of the day, everyone has the same common goal. Everyone wants to win. So like, I always think that no one's doing anything intentionally. So like, it, it's best to get to the core issue of something before you just say, you know what, let's just, it's better if we just split up. So that's just where I'm at, especially with relationships that have built over a long period of time. One of the guys that I've been working with for, for so long the other day, he was like, you know, we have like a no huddle offense, which I loved that metaphor. The idea that when you've been with people for so long, you can just start the play. You don't even need to talk about exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This one guy I've been working with, you know, for the longest pause, I think he, he's such an integral part of my success for what he brings to the team. And, and it's, it's funny that I look back in the years that he's pretty much only worked with me, <laughs> but I've thrusted him into positions, you know, like, we got a restaurant together one time and I was like, all right, you're the executive sous chef. And he's like, I've never been an executive sous chef. And I was like, well, I've never been the executive chef of a 200 seat restaurant. So we're going to figure this thing out together, you know? <laughs> and then we look back after like three years and we're like, holy shit, we did it. Yeah. You know? And if it wasn't for the belief he had in me to like, you know, employ him and, you know, make sure that he's straight with his livelihood and the belief that I had in him to even, you know, execute that position, that's what's kept us going and gotten us to this period. You know, you said something a moment ago that I just want to underline. A lot like every, I think without exception, every restaurant general manager or chef refers to his or her team as family. 
And yet at the same time, one of the lessons that we're taught is hire slow and fire fast. Mm -hmm. And I look at those two things as being in complete contrast with one another. Because you can't call someone your family and then be so quick to fire them. That's not exactly. how family does it. Like in a family, you it that it takes a long time before you like stop talking to someone in your family or kick someone out of the family. Mm-hmm. Have there been any situations where like someone was a part of your family, they weren't working out and you just kept loving them and investing in them. And then they came around and they became a really big part of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a, uh, uh, there's countless cooks that I can think of, but there's one in particular that, you know, I just didn't think he, he was getting it. Uh, you know, like he wasn't following the recipes to the gram, you know, he was leaving things out, he was showing up late. And I would bring him into the office and be like, I'm not giving up on you. Like, I'm not giving up on you. I know that you are a good person. <laughs> I know that you just need to get through this rough patch because you don't understand why I'm saying the things that I'm saying. But you're going to look back in six months and, and say to yourself that I, you have grown exponentially. And it took that rough period. And I think, you know, a lot of relationships go through that. And I equate all encounters with people like a relationship. Um, if it's a, a significant other, you know, a coworker, a friend, these are all relationships. There's, there's transactions that happen in different ways. If someone's working for you, yes, you are getting something out of them. They're getting something out of you. And if you're in a relationship, you should be getting something from your partner. It shouldn't just be you, you live in the same you know, house together. There, there should be some growth exchange between the two of you. And there's always a rough period of time that, that you all go through. And, and hopefully you can meet in the middle somewhere or get through that period together. Not all. It hasn't worked out for me every single time. But there are people that I can think of, like this this one cook in particular, that if I would have given up, I don't know where he would be right now. And I don't know he would be the person that he is. Yeah. So like, I, I think of that. I also think, and I, by the way, completely agree. I like the number of dating metaphors I've used when I talk about management. <laughs> I think most people I know who have the strongest marriages are ones who have gone through a rough patch at some point because it's in, and listen, we're seeing that now with our industry right now. Mm -hmm. Growth happens outside of your comfort zone. Always. Um, Always. I love that. The reason we're talking about collaboration right now under the grander theme of reinvention is, and you know, you are part of strategic planning and I love Madison Park, all that stuff. I just think right now it's going to be harnessing the collective creativity of your entire team that results in the ideas that are just crazy enough to help our industry restabilize um, mm -hmm. and creating an environment where people feel a responsibility and an invitation to come forward. And one of the things you said before, which I really agree with, and I'd like to hear you talk about it more is there's collaboration, but there does need to be one vision that kind of harnesses the creative collaboration. And so, can you just talk to me, like at, at Kith and Kin, you and your team, you created something extraordinary. And so Thank how you. did that work? Man, that was, <laughs> that was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of figuring things out. For one, it was, a I haven't even worked in a restaurant that big, you know? So like, it was a lot of falling and getting back up and, and small incremental growth every single day. It was like, we're not going to be, 
this thing isn't going to turn around in a week and be, you know, the best restaurant, but every single day we need to be getting better and we can't make the same mistakes, you know, and it was very, very collaborative. Now the food was, was from my heritage for sure, but there were so many things that I took input from everyone in the restaurant. It wasn't just my complete word or, you know, what I say goes, it was, if you can make a case for this to be better, whether it was a dish or, or anything, it could be coming from a line cook, it could be coming from a server. That's how we got to where we were. I mean, there was a, this, the sambusas, the lamb sambusas that are on the menu. I think you had them. They're like these lamb filled crispy filo that came, that idea came from a server, you know, cause every, every day I was like, Hey, y'all. Well, when I was doing the menu changes, it was like, if you have any ideas for the menu, I don't care if you work in, you know, if you're a porter and you work in the dish station or you work in the dining room floor, if you have any ideas come to me, I'd love to talk about this. And one of the servers, I'll never forget this guy, Nick. He was this, I believe he was Puerto Rican and white. Most of my staff was Ethiopian in the dining room. Within four months, he learned fluent of the native Ethiopian language. I think it's called, I don't remember the exact, because they have a bunch of different languages, but whatever the one that was spoken in my He learned it in four months. Learned it. <laughs> learned it. And, and then he, we would do family mail. He's like, I'm good, chef. I'm like, you don't want family mail? He was like, no, I brought Misser and I brought Doro Watts. I made it at home. Like he's, then he started making the Ethiopian food. So he, he bought into like the whole, Kith and Kin African concept so much that he was actually learning different languages. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And that's the beauty of being open and letting people be themselves in a restaurant, you know, and in any, in any business, you know, cause then you get moments like that where people actually leave better than they were before they uh, came and had, and it ha- also has nothing to do with food. It's like, they're just an all around better person. So that's a snapshot of what it was like to be at Kith and Kin. You know, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, we were we were really a family there, and I still keep in touch with a lot of people that work there. So I got I got two, a few things. One, Nick, if you're listening to this, hit me up. I got a job for you. I don't know what the <laughs> job is, but I'll figure it out. Two. So how do you? Okay, so Nick comes to you with that idea. That's extraordinary, right? And mm-hmm. now the job of a leader in that moment is to reinforce that behavior with reckless abandon to encourage everyone else to follow suit. So Mm -hmm. how do you do that? Well, the thing is not everyone's Nick, right? So like not everyone is going to come up with dish ideas. Some people just, you mean, you know what it's like you, even if you have a bunch of sous chefs, not everyone puts up a dish every time for a menu change. It's like, there are people that are that eager to do that. and, And those are the people that you have to give a little bit of freedom to to be themselves, to express themselves and to have their back, you know, when they want, you know, not to make them feel small, even if the idea isn't great, you know, work on it. And that's what we did. We sat down and I was like, Hey, what if we did, you know, you know, the little dipping sauce that's on the side, why don't we do shitto, shitto what for a dipping sauce? I mean, we'll glaze in a little bit of, you know, dried shrimp, hunt like uh, honey with like dried shrimp macerated in it. And, you know, and that's how the dish comes together. And when I put it up, I eat it with him you know, and he's giving me real feedback. And I mean, that speaking about it right now, I, I miss it so much. Mm. It was just such a great feeling doing that. But yeah, I mean, we would, we would let people put things on the menu. Um, and also giving people free reign within their wheelhouse, I think is also really, really important. Listen, yes, I can make a cocktail. 
should I be the one behind the bar making every single drink or creating everything? No. If I don't agree with, with how a beverage tastes, I also let everyone else taste it. I don't like bitter things. Am I not going to have a single, you know, old fashioned on my menu? No, you know, because people like that. And I like to give, I like to let people be the experts in what they're doing unabashedly. Yeah. And I, I take a step back at times for the betterment and the morale of the team. I mean, I think honestly, right now you're doing, you're like reinforcing that behavior. I know so many people in our industry who one of the things that ends up happening in the restaurant will be the idea from someone else on the team. And then they would get on a podcast like this and call it their own. I just think like screaming from the mountaintops and giving credit to the people who actually like dug deep and came up with stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's important. It's very important. And I think the times are changing and people want that now more than ever, you know, and, and it makes me think about how I can be even better going into my next restaurant. Yeah. And that's another reason why I'm also taking my time because I want to be the best version of myself. There are things that I definitely could work on. You know, the thing for me is, especially being like young and, and in the public eyes, I'm still learning as, I mean, we're all learning as, as we're growing, but like I'm learning as I'm in the public eye as well. So like, I know that like in the next, whatever next iteration, I want to be three times as, as good or three times as better as I was in my, in my last project. And that's going to take, you know, working on myself, probably going to therapy, you know, (laughs) being a better, being a better spouse, being a better friend. And I think all of those things that happen outside of the restaurant, they also reflect how you are inside of the restaurant. Yeah. And I want to talk about growth. I said before, we we grow outside of our comfort zone. We've all been outside of our comfort zone the last six months. I want to get into that. Mm -hmm. Let me just go back a little bit because... I mean, listen, I've heard you talk about your mom and the relationship there. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's easy for me to feel connected to you because I feel the same thing in my relationship with my dad and everything I Mm -hmm. learned from him. This sense of collaboration, this pursuit of relationship. I mean, your first kitchen job was working for your mom. So when you think back to those experiences... What did you learn about leadership in the kitchen when you were like 10 working for your mom? I think because I was working for my mom and my mom is so compassionate and understanding and creative and free. She's such a free spirit. It set the ground rules, the groundwork for the way that I'm a leader today. So she would let me fail. And she'd be like, it's okay. This is, this is just how you learn. She would let me like mess up a recipe. And then she'd be like, I bet you won't do that again. And it was more teaching through the act of experience, like true experiencing something. I would, I would learn that way. That's the greatest lesson she taught me. It's better than learning how to season. It was better than learning how to cook something properly. I think all those things come eventually, but the, the bones for being a leader, I learned from her and the way that she treated her team, her staff, and myself included. Yeah, and then kind of going through your career, my dad says, ask yourself what right looks like. I mean, you mm-hmm. saw what right looked like. And then in other seasons of your career, you saw the opposite of that. Exactly. How important exactly. is it to learn from the people that are who you want to be as well as learning from people who aren't what you want to be. 
I think that's the beauty of the world. You know, you can pick and choose what you want to take from it and then create your own world. You know, uh, we meet so many different people. I, I believe that's it all. It's I mean, it's as old as the saying, like you can't appreciate a, a sunny day without seeing a rainy day. Yeah, It gives you a, a point of, of perspective that is clearly not something that you enjoy. So you're not going to be doing that. <laughs> it does, you, you know, you don't like the way it makes you feel. So you're not going to do it to others. And there are other people that thrive in those environments and then they regurgitate, you know, the things that they've seen that may not be as positive. And that's, I guess, okay for them. But you get to make that decision based off of the examples around you. Yeah, I love that. Okay. So you said before, I want to come out of this a much better version of myself than I went into it. Speaking to the the black hole of 2020. (laughs) And so... And listen, you and I have been in the foxhole together of the Independent mm-hmm. Restaurant Coalition. Um, talk about collaboration amongst a community of people that normally are not so inclined to collaborate. That's been a beautiful thing. That's been amazing. And that's taken me out of my comfort zone as well. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, I just remember how nervous I was talking to the press in the beginning <laughs> about politics and, <laughs> and lobbying. And it was just like, kind of like imposter syndrome. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about right now, but I did, you know, we were doing the work, but it was such a new frontier, you know, it was, it was uncomfortable, but I grew so much in that short period of time, just about what, you know, what's going on in this country and, and, and also the power that we have in our collective to really make change. You know, we, we, we have a voice we have so many people coming through our doors. We have a lot of powerful people coming through our doors to eat and everyone has to eat. But um, it was a great experience because everyone was wearing so many different hats that they never even tried on. And, <laughs> and we were also like figuring it out as we were, we were going and crushing it. So yeah, it, it was a really, really cool experience to see. I was actually just with Naomi yesterday. Oh, nice. Naomi <laughs> yesterday. And we were hanging out and we were talking about it all and how we, we've seen each other you know, for the past six months, every single morning, uh, you know, we were co-chairs of, of a committee together in the beginning <laughs> yeah. and we, we were just figuring it out. We were like, we would, we would do meetings and then we would call each other after like, oh my God, Woo! like we nailed it. Do you think I did a good job? Do you think I did a good job? No, you were great. You were great. It was just this building each other up a uh, period of time. So I, I enjoyed it. I, I think it, it's strong and it shows the tenacity that we have when we work together. I think the thing that's been extraordinary for me in that experience is when you're collaborating with your team, let's say you're brainstorming a step of service or a dish, you're sitting around the table, everyone, maybe like two people are super passionate about it and they disagree. Invariably, it comes to resolution because if it's a Kith and Kin, it's you, or if it's one of my restaurants, it's me. There's someone there that's clearly in charge Mm-hmm. I can just say, no, we're going to do it this way. Everyone had great ideas. We're going to do it this way. <laughs> in the IRC, it was a bunch of people in a room who are all used to being that person at the table who's in charge. Mm-hmm. And also a group of people in a room who are all extraordinarily respectful of one another, hold each other in such high regard. And coming to consensus during a time when you're not allowed to not make a decision, you need to get the job done without anyone that's clearly making that final decision. For me, that was an extraordinary learning experience. 
Yeah, I bet. I bet. It was a powerful room of people within our industry that, like you said, they, they're in charge. Their yeah. word is final. <laughs> and this was a complete democracy. We all had a... <laughs> We all had a say in how everything went. We were all were tweaking letters and yeah. press releases, and it was beautiful. It was a powerhouse. It is a powerhouse. It's, it still is. It, it's yeah. a it's amazing thing to see. But in the in the beginning, it was it was such a beautiful moment of a kind of like everyone relinquishing their power and letting the movement <laughs> kind of guide it. Yeah, and by the way, when I am back in a place where I am leading a restaurant, I will look forward to moments of relinquishing my power in pursuit of the same kind of result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you, you did a great job guiding it. I mean, you, you were doing the calls every morning. I was like, <laughs> I do not want that job. Do not volunteer me for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say no. <laughs> so, okay. You this, did a good job. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So 2020 has been crazy for all of us. It's also been crazy for you. You left your restaurant and that was, Mm -hmm. you've had a lot of things that have put you on the national and global stage, whether it's your book or the career leading up to this or the various awards and all the stuff you've, you've done. But Kith and Kin was, I would imagine for you, like that was your first like real thing that the world got to see Mm -hmm. your soul through. And so you left that restaurant. There was everything around the Black Lives Matter. There's COVID. There's all of this stuff. And we just talked about learning how to lobby and all those technical (laughs) skills that we learned. But what have you learned about yourself that will change the way in which you lead on the other side of this? I know that's That's a big question. That's a big question. It's a great question. What have I learned about myself? I've learned that I have the power to manifest things over this period of time that I have the power to manifest my, my, my dreams, my vision, my relationships. And I think that there is a responsibility in that, you know, that I am learning more and more, you know, I'm, I'm learning that there's, there's a responsibility in my platform and I have to be very, very careful about, you know, what I associate it with, whether it's a friendship, <laughs> a restaurant or a movement. And I think that's, that's something that I learned and I still need to harness a little bit, you know, I still need to, to really understand the weight of that and what I'm going to do with that next. And that's another reason why I'm taking my time so much, you know, with this next, uh, I mean, obviously COVID is, is also <laughs> a, road, a roadblock. Let me not say, say like people are going out to restaurants right now, but, you know, even in the, the process of planting my feet somewhere, it's all of these things are really, really big decisions that garner a lot of a lot of thought and a lot of attention. I think when people, and we've talked about this a lot. I mean, we used to always talk about it at Make It Nice. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Just like answering that question honestly and, and doing it. And for people listening who hear you say, I've learned that I can manifest things. Like if I, if I really believe in something and I put my mind to it, I can bring it to life. But you're Kwame, you're a rock star. Of course you can. Like, how do you think about that as it pertains just to everyone? Is that something that everyone has in them? I think everyone has the power to manifest anything. I know, you know, people associate me with doing, you know, things that not everybody else can do, but I don't believe that. 
I believe that's something that's been put on me. That's not something that I've, I've put on myself. The only thing that I've done is believed in myself when I do something, you know, and I also put my all into it when I do something. And I believe that everyone has the power to do that. Everyone can push through adversity and come out of the other side, you know, su- successful. And it starts with just believing in yourself. It starts with believing in yourself and really, really believing in your vision. And if you don't believe in it, no one else is going to believe in it for you. So yes, to answer your question in short, I know that everyone has the power to manifest. There are things that people have gone through that may inhibit that, you know, and, and make it make it harder to get through because life is really, really hard. And we, we all have a story. We all can write a book. We all can write a memoir. <laughs> yeah. I wrote mine when I was, when I was 25 when I was writing mine, you know, so like the people, everyone has a story. And there's power in that. And there's, there's power in belief. Yeah. And that's something that I've just learned over this period of time. I think it's a, it's something that people in our world could probably stand here now more than ever, because I think a lot of people's confidence has taken a hit in the last, mm-hmm. even those that were super successful have been put on their back foot. And even the ones that may have believed that before are struggling to believe that now. So I think that's a beautiful reminder. Yeah. All right. We're talking about reinvention generally over the course of this five month run, chiefly because listen, I think it's become clear on a ton of different levels that our industry needs to reinvent itself. But we've also never been just brought to a complete standstill like this. And so there's never been as much of an opportunity to reinvent our industry. And so when you think about a few things that you hope speaking to the idea of manifesting mm-hmm. that our industry will, will look like on the other side of this, what are the things that have been going through your head? That's a great question. You know, I think for me, the, one of the main things is community driven uh, restaurants. And, you know, a lot of us say, you know, restaurants are the cornerstone of community where, you know, we're the, the anchor, we, we build up communities, but are we building up a community that's welcome to all, you know, a lot of restaurants open up in areas that are been, been, or on the path of being gentrified. And we just service the people that can afford, you know, our $18 crudos and things like that. And it's only been, you know, during COVID for a lot of restaurants to flip that switch. Mm-hmm. you know, led by Jose Andres and to turn their restaurants into real community centers and getting food out. That should be the norm. You know, we're, we're open on slow Tuesdays sometimes. Why? When we can get, we can figure out a way to get a government grant to like, just pump out food for the community. You know, I think these are the, that's what we need to look at differently in going into restaurants. We also need to look at the way that we treat our staff. And I know it's, it's a, it's one of the hardest things that we have to deal with is, you know, one of the most expensive things is labor for us. You know, how do we pay people more? But I think we need to figure out a way to do that. We need to figure out a way to have more of a a work-life balance for the restaurant industry because mental health is a, is a really, really huge issue in our industry. Burning out is a huge issue in our industry. And, you know, people that have been working in, in kitchens for, 20 years and never really get to that CDC position. And they're just a, you know, a lifelong line cook. What are they going to do when they burn out? You know, they have to start from scratch and that burnout comes from can't do this anymore. <laughs> I can't work these long shifts and also not get paid much. And 
have to tiptoe around asking to go on a vacation, can't really spend time with anyone. You know, I, I think it needs to change. Do I have the answers on exactly how to do that? Not yet. I plan to when I open the, my restaurant. Yeah, I think it's, we're in this really challenging moment where it's clearer now more than ever that we need to make changes exactly like the ones you just articulated, but to make changes like that require resources. And we're also in this moment where we're more depleted of resources than we've ever Exactly. But Mm -hmm. again, growth happens outside of your comfort zone. It does. I think figure it out. And it starts with someone just doing it, just trying it. You know, I I would also like to try to eliminate tipping in some way, or if we're going to keep the tipping, let it spread to everyone in the house, you know, make it, let, let it go to the dining room and to the kitchen. I think that there's institutional, you know, racist things that have happened in restaurants that we're still holding on to. Um, and just in the service industry in general that we need to let go of somehow, but it can't be at the expense of our employees that we're letting go of it. That's what we need to make sure that we're, we're treading lightly on. And this, by the way, will hopefully come through collaboration among the entire industry. I think it needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to. Okay. On the, on a bright note, (laughs) to end things and I'm appreciative of your time. Another reason why I've always felt it easy to connect with you is our collective pursuit of finding the silver linings and the things that bring us hope in any season of adversity. What that you've seen in the world, whether you're filming Top Chef or you're traveling around or you're working in community, like what's giving you hope right now? You know, what's giving me hope is two things. Cause I, I want to talk about like, I want to talk about how we as a people are able to come together, you know, this, and I hate to call it a black lives matter movement because it's so much more than that. And then, you know, we've been going through things for so long and none of this stuff is new. It's just being shared on a device, but the way that we're able to come together as a people to like rally the way that we were able to come together for the IRC you know, the, the way that we were able to come together and sit down and, you know, talk about future endeavors, the way that America was able to come together and say that we've had enough, that's a silver lining for me to let, it lets me know that I'm not crazy. It lets me know that like, <laughs> you know, I, my opinions are valid and it also lets me know that we're strong and we're stronger together than we are alone. So that gives me hope. And that's my silver lining. The other thing is the unknown. This is the only time pretty much that I've been like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know when I'm going to open up another restaurant because the landscape isn't, it's not favorable for me to do this right now. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do next because it's not like I can just go and get a job. (laughs) And that unknown is exciting. We are people, we're we're all, especially in this industry, very type A people that like need to know what's happening. When we quit a job, we already have another job lined up. You know, (laughs) when we go to school, we know exactly where we want to work. It's like we're we're always focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You know, we know what our next shift is. We know what next station we want to go to. We know what next position we want to have in the dining room. We know the hierarchy of things. This is the time where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing because we're never really in that position. And if you can stop rejecting that feeling and just flip the script such that you can embrace it, it can be a beautifully liberating thing. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. Like you said, it's, it is freeing. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with a, with a positive outlook on it. Not like, I don't know in a negative way, but like, I don't know, maybe this will happen. Maybe this won't. 
and we'll still having uh, some goals, but knowing that you'll never fully be able to be in control. You know, someone told me a long time ago that man plans and God laughs. Yeah. And that's what's happening right now. Right on, man. Hey, I'm so appreciative of the time and the conversation. And I can't wait to see you in person somewhere. On I the know, I know. Me too. Me too. Me too. Thanks for having me. This has been great. This has yeah. been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to the incredibly generous sponsors who give us the resources to not only create this content, but to deliver it to you. Perhaps the greatest gift is that they've given us the opportunity to connect with you here, even during a season when we're unable to connect with you in person. Those are our friends and partners at American Express, at Resi, and at Sam Pellegrino. We appreciate you all so much. That catchy music you hear, that's by our friend Aaron Raytier. He's amazing. Check him out. And to the team at the Welcome Conference, who's been working so hard this year. Obviously, Anthony Rudolph and Brian Canlis, who you see alongside me on stage. But then Aaron Ginsberg, who's been running the show with a ton of support by Sandra DiCapua. There's a lot to be thankful for, even during a time that feels so challenging. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And if you want to check up on us and see what we're up to, go to welcomeconference.org. It's the weekly special. You do, 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 do. Weekly special. Weekly special.